0: Twenty-five, Justin Burke-Bickler was diagnosed with stage two testicular cancer. Now in remission, he is committed to getting the ball rolling on raising awareness of men's health and testicular cancer through his website, A Ballsy Sense of Tumor, which I still can't say without cracking up. All right, A Ballsy Sense of Tumor. Welcome, Justin, so much. So glad to have you here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And I've could see the face falling apart of laughter before you even got like through the second syllable. <laughs>
0: Love the name. Clearly you do have a sense of humor. Um, but take us back to your survivor now. Take us back to um, when you were diagnosed. How did you even know sort of, sort of what happened? Take us back to that before.
1: Yeah. So that, this was about mm, coming up on this fall will be four years since diagnosis. So I'm like about three and a half years um, past diagnosis. And I was 25 at the time. I'm 28 now and a couple of days, I'm turning 29. So I'm going to hold on to the being 28 for as long as I can.
0: Oh, you're a baby, um, please.
1: <laughs> I, I know that's, it's kind of nice. But like, it normally takes me like a solid like six months to remember that I've changed age. So like, I'll still say I'm 28. But that has nothing to do with this. Um, so I was 25, definitively 25 at the time. Um, And I was actually on a business trip and I was already stressed because I didn't really look through where the hotel was versus the airport versus the work location. And they were in a 150 mile radius from each other. So I was already super stressed and I decided to compound that stress. I was going to do my monthly testicular self exam in the shower the morning. And I had detected that there was a lump on the left testicle that hadn't been there. In the previous month when I did in September.
0: Most men don't do those types of exams, so so why were you even doing an exam? I mean, I love that you did, but why?
1: Yeah, so it was honestly, it was the one thing that um, my pediatrician really drilled into my head from the time I was like 15 until I stopped seeing him when I was in like my early 20s and moved out of my parents house. Um, And then my family care doctor, once I moved, um, I grew up in Pennsylvania and then I moved to Virginia, um my that was something that my family care doctor really stressed and so it just it was just really good luck that I had two doctors who did stress that because like you said a a lot of guys don't do them and b a lot of doctors don't talk to guys about them and it's a whole nother story for a whole nother um maybe later on in this but it's um it's something that I'm a huge proponent of because had I not done that we might not be talking today right um so it, it was Just kind of by luck, by the good fortune of having two incredible doctors who, um, you know, reminded me to do them, that I detected this lump. And that's how I'm still here today.
0: Take me back. So you found a lump.
1: Yeah, I found a lump. Um, And so, and like I said, I was on a business trip, so I couldn't even do anything about it at the time. And I got back from the business trip. um, And I also didn't have a doctor at the time, because even though when I moved to Virginia, I did have a doctor, but then I relocated a couple of times when I was in Virginia, and I just never found a new primary care doctor. So I had to locate a doctor, which I was super awkward calling a doctor for the first time, being like, hey, I'm a new patient. I also need you to just specifically check my testicles. You can leave the rest of my body alone, but it's the testicles I'm going to need you to you know, focus your area on. Um, and the nurse practitioners determined there was a lump, so I went and got an ultrasound, or I like to call it a ultrasound nowadays because that's just what I do um and they detect they I'll always remember I was getting the testicular ultrasound which sounds just as awkward as it I mean it is as awkward as it sounds they ultrasounded both testicles the right one first because that was the one I didn't have any issues with and then the left one they did the right one everything sounded fine they turned on like this little microphone thing to listen to the blood flow and it sounded kind of like the ocean. So like, I'm sorry, next time you go to the ocean, you're not going to think that's the waves anymore. That's the sound of (laughs) a healthy testicle. I've now ruined that for you. and You ruined it for
0: everyone.
1: (laughs) You're welcome. It's like my main mission in life is to ruin the sounds of the ocean. Um, But so then they swapped over to the left testicle and it sounded like a pack of like angry wolves, which is not what you find in the ocean often. Um, And so I looked at the tech and She looked at me and she's like, well, that's not necessarily abnormal. I was like, I don't know what what oceans you're going to, but that's pretty abnormal to me. So she went and talked with her radiologist, came back. She's like, you might want to call your doctor today. I was like, oh, that's very reassuring. I appreciate that. Um, So I never actually got a chance to call my doctor because within like 45 minutes of that scan, my doctor called me um, and said, hey, you know, they detected a mass. We're going to have to refer you to urologist and so I got sent to the urologist and like I said the radiation tech was kind of vague about it my doctor was kind of vague about it and then I got to the urologist and he's like yeah so I've I've looked at this and you have testicular cancer and when I tell that part of the story often people have like the exact reaction that you just had there but like I really appreciated that at the time because I was so sick of having kind of a runaround I really just wanted answers so I wasn't too shocked at that like I had done enough research to realize like a mass on your testicle and like 95% of the cases is, is cancer. Um,
0: what was the so, time from the, the time you felt it on that business trip to the time a doctor actually said that to you?
1: Uh, about 20 days.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. That's three weeks of worry. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and it was, it was about a week between the initial doctor's appointment to the urologist. So it was like two weeks of trying to find a doctor and a week of tests and stuff. He said that, you know, I had, most likely had cancer, but they, could, they couldn't tell until they did surgery. And so they said they were going to have to remove the testicle. And that's where I started panicking because I was like, no, you need to remove the cancer. I'm going to go ahead and keep that testicle. <laughs> like, sir, I don't know where you got your degree, but I'm rather attached to this testicle. Well. I mean, like technically speaking, it's attached to me, but it's you it. It's attached to you. <laughs> yeah. And so he, he explained it and he's like, no, just the way everything works. You can't take right. it out um and he's like so we need to get you into surgery soon and i was like all right what are we talking like week two weeks and he's like no like tomorrow and i was like oh okay well hey i am not having wrapped my head around the fact that you're taking half my balls and two i have to work tomorrow so like i can't just call my boss and be like hey i'm not coming in tomorrow um i'll tell you why later so i said you know let me go home and think on it i was like i'm not going to wait too long but let me just process and he's like all right so i I went home and I processed and I called him um, like that evening and the next morning called me. And so instead of doing it the next day, we did two days later. So I was, I was able to get off of work for Friday. It was like a long weekend, but like not a really fun long weekend. Um,
0: Had you told anybody, your parents or anyone at this point?
1: (laughs) So (laughs) this is a funny story. Um, Uh I I had told my boss because I had to leave work to go to get the ultrasound, but I kind of left it vague. Um, my boss was well he still is a male but I've changed jobs a couple times since then Um, as soon as I said I had an issue with my testicles he was like go Um, I didn't tell my parents until like the night before surgery um, which like my mom was like not super thrilled about in my head I didn't want to make them worry if it ended up being nothing Um, so but like I also wanted to tell like I didn't want to just call them from the recovery room and be like hey we're going to play a game called who's your son and has one testicle. It's, 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 it's not my brother. <laughs> oh, no! Um, so I, I called and like, I was like the typical twenties guy in their mid twenties. who like never calls their parents. Like I text my parents all the time, but I very rarely actually call them. Like the only time I really called my parents throughout college and like living down here was when I got a speeding ticket of which there have been many, but that's not why we're here today. Um, you so can now talk every-
0: after my nickname is Andrea Andretti when I was in my twenties. So
1: yeah i finally learned to slow down Me but that was mean because i was afraid to lose my license right but, um but so now every time i call my mom like i'm like hey just letting you know i don't have cancer i don't have a speeding ticket i also don't have coronavirus like i'm just calling just to talk like oh my gosh. Oh, um, i love it i told her like the night before surgery and i you know had the surgery and then they confirmed it was cancer and the cancer had actually taken over pr- pretty much the whole testicle So even in my imaginary world where they can just take out the cancer, but not the testicle. There would have been nothing left anyways. Um, So they did full body CAT scans and found that not only was it in my testicle, but I also spread to my lymph nodes. So I needed chemo. So then I got referred to an oncologist. Then I started chemo about a month after surgery. I think it was actually exactly a month. So I went through chemo for three months. The thing with testicular cancer chemo is, because testicular cancer is such an aggressive cancer, they have to treat it very aggressively. So, in the grand scheme of things, compared to people who go through chemo for, like, years and years and years, three months doesn't sound like a lot, but I had 21 treatments within that three months. Yeah, no, that's a
0: lot. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah,
1: it's a lot in a very short time frame. Yeah. Um, It's more than, like, some people have, like, over five years. Um, So, it, it really, you know, knocked me out for, like, way out of commission for you know the the first the first day wasn't bad and then I woke up the next day I was like wow that was not fun yesterday and then it just progressively got worse from there that was no like I said November 2016 through January 2017 Uh, and then I finished out chemo and in um, I guess early March 2017 is when I had another set, of or late February, or early March, had another set of scans, and everything was clear, and everything's been clear um, since March 2017, so I had, my most recent scans were um, this past Christmas, or it was like, that was a really cool Christmas present, but like, I had to pay like $600, so like, in the grand scheme, of things, <laughs> not the greatest present, because I had to pay for it myself, you know, that's kind of the comprehensive journey, along the way
0: did you have to have any other treatments after you finished chemo is there anything okay
1: i'm just uh i'm i was on close surveillance for the first two years um i had blood draws a lot and cat scans every couple of um, months and then uh, once i hit the uh, about two and a half year mark they bumped it down i am still in surveillance for another year and a half or so um so i have blood draws every 6 months and now i have scans once a year okay um, but no haven't had any treatment since then oh that's awesome
0: what was your before and after moment so this is a moment that i describe where i think everyone remembers whether, you know, it's you, you have cancer, or your child, or your spouse, it's that moment when you hear those words, and um, for me, I describe as that everything is before cancer, and sort of after cancer, Um, and, and now it doesn't necessarily happen when you hear those words, but I I feel like everyone sort of has that moment. Um, did you have a moment like that? And if if so, what can you tell us about it?
1: My moment actually really comes after all the treatment and everything, um, because like I said, everything moved so quickly. I know, like I said, it was like twenty days from twenty days from lump to surgery, and then started chemo like a month later, and then a whole lot of chemo for a whole lot of months. It really wasn't until the doctor said, um, "You know, you're in remission from cancer," once I asked him to explain to me where remission was, because <laughs> I was like do I have cancer or not? You're using fancy words here. (laughs) Um, uh, So I found out remission is a good thing. And so it was kind of that because it was like, okay, I don't have any active treatment. I still have physical healing to do from the aforementioned 21 treatments, um, which took, it actually took longer to recover from the treatments than the treatments actually lasted. But it it was like, oh, wow, a, a lot has changed in a very short time frame so I I do the same thing where I think of you know before cancer and after cancer and I kind of like the whole time when I was actually going through cancer is kind of like just a weird limbo where it was just a lot of medical visits and you know sleeping when I could and steroids keeping me up when I couldn't it was like this weirdest dichotomy for a very long time so yeah it, it's definitely the day when and I, again it's a date that sticks out March 2nd 2017. Um, is the day the doctor said, you know, you're in remission. And that's kind of where it's chapter two of the life, which like it took, you know, 25 years to write that first chapter. Like hopefully chapter two is written a little faster, but like more positive.
0: I think that's really interesting that it was when you heard remission.
1: Um, yeah. That's,
0: that's very interesting. What was your worst moment during that whole time?
1: So the physically okay. worst part was towards the end of chemo um, where I was, um, I, I was, like, so proud of myself. I got through 19 of the 21 treatments without throwing up once. Like, I felt ton of nausea, and I felt fatigued, but I never threw up. And then I more than made up for it uh, after treatment 19. So that was, like, that was the worst physically because I would pretty much be awake to throw up, and then I'd go to sleep, and then I'd wake back up to throw up. And, like, oh. it was – I was, like – but then I was afraid to fall asleep because I didn't want to, like – Throw up in my sleep, and so like that was like I hope nobody's listening to this like during lunch because I'm sorry about that. Uh, (laughs) We'll put like a label on it or something. (laughs) Right, I should have realized that. Um, uh, so yeah, so that that was the physically worst, but I think like the emotionally worst was um, after I'd completed all the treatments before I saw the doctor um, that said I was in remission. It was it was like the day before or like the night I had scans to figure out if everything had been successful and I had like a breakdown and I was like, well, what if this wasn't successful? Like, I don't want to do three more months of chemo. Like, uh, I, was like uh, I was like, "I was like, is there a surgery I can do? Well, I mean, obviously now everything was, but it was kind of like a panic attack. And then, you know, like that was, what when looking back now, having the hindsight of about three years, a little over three years, that was kind of like the beginning of, Mental health problems that I experienced, you know, to here and there to this day still. Um, but I didn't really recognize it. But like now, looking back at that point, that was when like depression and anxiety and PTSD and whatever other acronyms and mental health labels I get slapped on me nowadays really started because I like it's kind of like talking about the before and after moment. Things were starting to wind down, but also amp up.
0: I mean, I think that's a pretty normal reaction. What was your best moment?
1: um the best moment was probably probably the last day of chemo I know like all my moments seem to come from like the last two weeks one way or another from chemo but I just I'll always remember um ringing the bell of chemo and it was it was so cool I had um you know I was there my nursing team was there I like I was up on my I keep looking at the bulletin board but you can't see the bulletin board because the camera's facing (laughs) this way um but I still have the card that like the whole nursing staff Uh, And my doctor and everybody signed and gave to me. Um, It was just like a really cool moment. Um, And that ringing the bell, like, hey, I'm done. I'm hopefully never going to be back here for chemo. Like, I'm going to be here for the foreseeable future for blood work and stuff, but I'm not going to have to be on this side of the clinic.
0: Where were you treated?
1: I was uh, treated at a private clinic in um, Fredericksburg, Virginia. That's where I live now. And so it was kind of fortuitous. Uh, Like I said, I had moved couple times um, and I just happened to move to Fredericksburg about two um, was, I moved in July uh, and I was diagnosed in October November um, so there happens to be very good cancer care in this area so I was fortunate enough that my clinic was 20 minutes from my house maybe so wow. that, was, that was nice
0: so you were young when you were diagnosed and I'm just curious how do you look at your life differently now if you do um, than you did before your diagnosis?
1: Yeah. So I I totally look at it completely differently. I mean, I don't have any other personal friend. Like I I have friends within the cancer community, but I don't have really anybody else in my personal life prior to this who's gone through cancer. So it's, while I'm still relatively young in the grand scheme of things, like the life experience, you know, there's, there's certain lessons that you don't realize you're going to learn in life. Like, you know, things don't really control you and, you know, you really only have one life. So live it. That, that was something that I, I didn't do a great job of prior to it. And I, am it's still a learning experience. I don't, uh, you know, I, I, was very, I like the word frugal, but my parents and significant others might call it stingy, but there's a reason I'm single right now. Um, so um,
0: I thought you were gonna say cheap, but you said stingy.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, they've used a variety of terms. Okay. Um. But so I, I've gotten a little bit better at that. Because, you know, it's, it's really just money. Like it's, it's, you know, if it's, if it's something that's going to be a cool experience or improve your quality of life, just go for it. Like you can't, you know, when when you pass on, you can't take it with you. And then whoever's still alive, once I'm gone, they, they can take care of whatever giant debt I rack up. That's also not a great strategy to have. Find a middle ground between those two. Probably the biggest lesson, and this sometimes sounds counterproductive, um, it taught me to say no to things a lot more. Um, because And the way I like to phrase it is when I'm saying yes to something that I'm not actually super invested in, that means I'm saying no to myself. and at the end of the day like and it sounds obviously i I have close friends and family and stuff but the only one that i can ever definitively know how is going to react and 100 percent always going to be there no matter what is yourself yeah um you can't say no to yourself in favor of all other people i'm not saying you need to be a hermit and live in your house forever although that's kind of what we're doing in the world nowadays
0: (laughs) at the time (laughs) of this recording
1: yes right um and for the foreseeable future who knows when that's true you know there are some things that in the in the past that I would have just even been like oh that sounds like moderately interesting I guess I'll do it and then kind of like hated being invested in that and now you know there'll there'll be stuff that um you know I'll I'll say yes to and then later on I'll realize that it's just it wasn't for me and I'll just say no and like the other thing I kind of learned is you you don't really have to explain to anybody. No, you can just say, I'm I'm done. Let me say it a little bit more eloquently than that. But if I mean the probably the biggest perk to having cancer is like you you can play that cancer card like pretty much whenever you want. And if someone like questions you why why you don't want to do something, you know, within reason, you can know, be like, Well, I'm still you know, I just don't have time. <laughs> and so it's like so everybody who I've said no to something and is listening to this I'm sorry, I just told you that I'm just not interested in what you have me <laughs> do.
0: No, so. no, okay, you learned a lesson that I didn't learn. Well, I, I knew better, but I didn't really appreciate it or do it until I was in my early 40s, really. I mean, because if, um, and I don't know who said this, but if you say yes all the time to people, your no means nothing. And mm-hmm. and I went through um, a phase in, in my late 30s where I got to the point where I was just, I almost had a breakdown because I had said yes to everyone and everything. And I was done. I was just done. So I think you learned an extremely valuable lesson. You know, you don't have to say yes all the time.
1: Eventually the rest of my friends will catch up and realize that I'm not crazy for just being like, no, I don't really want to go out. I'm going to stay here and watch Netflix.
0: (laughs) Well, You know, I, I like that you brought up your friends. So except for the friends you made in the cancer community, None of your friends have had cancer, so how did they react when you were diagnosed? Your closest um, friends,
1: my closest my closest friends were super supportive. Um, a lot of them, I, a couple of them, came down in the interim between, or a couple of them came down in the interim between uh, surgery and chemo. They couldn't really come down during chemo because I was, you know, compromised. But a lot of them checked in, um, you know, via. It was mainly text because I didn't want to FaceTime or talk on the phone or anything. Um, but it, it was nice. That, like I s- said, I grew up in Pennsylvania. So most of my friends are still up in Pennsylvania. Um, I had just moved to this area. So I didn't have like a close-knit group of um, friends on here. I, did ha- I had just started at a new job and literally made, you know, I-, I work in education. So school year started in September. All this happened in October. So I was literally working wow. at that school for a month and change maybe. Um, So I didn't really have a whole lot of close relationships, but that school really banded together to drop off meals and send care packages and so on and so forth. But it, that was nice. Um, But it was, you know, even though my friends were physically distanced from me, um, they were there for me emotionally and, you know, virtual means. So kind of like what we're going through right now in the pandemic where everybody's kind of spread out and kept, so it's like, that kind of prepared me for this. So now it's kind of my turn to return the favor. Um, But it's, they did, and a lot of them, um, male and female, like really, you know, asked, well, you're my age, how do you have cancer? And I, because, you know, everybody thinks like older people with cancer, like childhood cancer, like nobody really thinks of the, you know, late teens, early 20s, 30s. Um, So I use that time to kind of educate a lot of my friends and and the male friends directly and the female friends to educate their husbands because texting one of my female friends' husbands be like, I think you need to check your balls. Probably wouldn't go over well. Uh, (laughs) No, probably not. but But somehow having the wife say, Hey, I was just talking to Justin about his balls. And now I need to talk to you about yours went over just fine. But yeah, I mean, everyone was supportive. Um, there were a couple isolated incidents here and there where they couldn't see beyond themselves. And, the, but I realized that the friendship was just one that I had to let go, um, because it wasn't what I needed at the time. And I didn't really just have room for that in my life.
0: That is so wise. Wow. That's really wise. Um, what is the one thing you wish you'd known at the very beginning of your cancer journey?
1: I wish I would have known um, the emotional impact of cancer. And I I think that's something that um, is understated a lot of the time within cancer. You know, like when I went in for, or anytime you look up anything, you know, you can find a laundry list of things about, you know, how to treat nausea, fatigue, hair loss, so on and so forth. But there doesn't seem to be as much dialogue about the mental health ramifications. And it's hard coming to terms with the fact that you know you something in your body rebelled and tried to kill you for lack of a better term um, and it's hard to come to terms with that especially at a younger age and so it's and also when you're feeling alone and you know, it's just a whole lot of things and so I wish I would have known that up front to be a little bit more open about it because I didn't really admit that I was having mental health challenges until almost a whole year after finishing chemo it was, Give, give or take I, and but like looking back on some of the blog posts and writing I've done it, like you can w- watch a cr- clear trajectory of my mental health declining but and it was kind of I guess so coming out subconsciously through my writing but I wasn't admitting it like anytime somebody asked me how I was doing I was like I'm fine you know what, what do I have to be upset about I'm alive um, but I'll remember when I went in for pretty much, I think it was like my one year scan, my oncologist was like, how are you doing? And I said, good. And he kind of paused for a second and said, Justin, how are you really doing now? Well? Uh-huh. Um, and you know, great shout out to Dr. Maurer. Um, he, he continues to be my oncologist and he's every time I go in he still checks in on my mental health. And, um, it's just been great. Like we need more doctors like that. But I think that that's the big thing I wish I would have known to be more proactive in my mental health and to recognize, or not even necessarily recognize, but just to admit that I'm having a problem well before it gets to a further problem.
0: Yeah. I love that you said that because you're, first of all, you're not certainly not the first person. And I think that if you've survived cancer, there is that mentality. Well, my gosh, you gotta be grateful. You lived, you know, you mm-hmm. you survived and a lot of people don't. And if you struggle with sort of the after cancer, um, you feel guilty, maybe. Right. Um, and, and I'm just thinking of someone else that that's, um, I'm going to interview and who, who expressed sort of the same thing, that she knew the actual treatment itself was going to be hard. She never expected that afterwards it would be harder um, oh, yeah. for, for many of the reasons that, that you just stated. And then I'm also thinking of um, a few people I know who are still in treatment and they were struggling and they didn't know that the mental health services were available in one case, um, a man didn't know that literally down the hall, mental health services were available. Yep. Why that wasn't offered from the beginning, I don't understand.
1: Uh, the healthcare system in this area, they have um, nurse nurse navigators who called to check in on me, but I didn't even know what a nurse navigator was. I assumed it was somebody um, in like financial Thing and I thought they were come after me through bills and you know I was going through chemo and it was I pretty much just shut the woman down at, like well, in a nice way but I, I just said no I thought everything handled but had they well also I'm a little stubborn too but that's neither here nor there um, <laughs> but, but if they would have if I would have understood the purpose of a nurse navigator or ahead of time saying hey this person's going to be checking in on you yes but billing is part of their job but they're also here for other things too I think that kind of like you said about the gentleman who didn't know there was something just down the road I I had someone had called me numerous times to check in on me and I was just so inundated with so many things I just thought it was a bill collector so I just kind of wrote it off and then I forget where I was I was at some conference and they were talking about nurse navigators and I was like yeah they just kept bugging me and then someone's like you know they're there to help you (laughs) I was like, well, I owe some people an apology.
0: <laughs> but you didn't know, right? Right. And, and I don't think a nurse navigator should have the same task as following up on billing either. I understand yeah. that, that may happen, but that shouldn't, that should be a totally different department. Uh, well, you led me to my next question so beautifully. Um, if you could do only one thing to improve healthcare in America, one, that's it, what would it be and why?
1: The best thing would be to improve access to mental health care. Um, I think, to put it into context, I racked up tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills from chemo. My insurance never questioned it once. I just said, you know, my doctor sent in the bills, they they approved it, I did my copay, whatever. When I got put on antidepressants, I had to battle with my insurance company over a $10 copay (laughs) because after they had shelled out tens of thousands of dollars and every single time I had a dosage increase I had to go back to battle with them and to the point where I've gone through a couple of dosage increases now when I go through the dosage increase I tell the doctor or the whoever nurse practitioner doctor whoever I said can someone from the office just proactively contact my insurance because I know it's going to be an issue I have I haven't had as many issues going to ther- um, going to like my talk therapist, as much as getting the medication, but it's just outrageous to me that, you know, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. And if you're gonna approve, by you're gonna approve them injecting more, uh, cocktail drugs into me for months on end, but you can't approve something else without me calling and you know knowing enough to navigate through the system. I just think that some needs to be something, you know, if we normalize it more, I think it'll help, help everything. It'll get rid of a lot of stigma and that, you know, you, there's the link between mental and health and physical health. If you help the mental health, you may also be helping the physical health. If I had to pick one, there's like, I could talk for like six more hours on how to
0: <laughs> I could um, too.
1: <laughs> but that, that would be, that would be my starting point, I'll say. Yeah,
0: I, I love that because I think most of the time your mental health is actually more important because um, a, a lot of uh, Alzheimer's and dementia runs in one side of my family. And um, I don't think, for, for me, this is my personal opinion, that it makes any sense to be totally physically healthy if my mind is not there. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but if my mind is all there and I have to deal with some physical ailments, I can do that. I can handle yeah. that. But I I want my mind to be there and I want to be reasonably happy. And so, um, yeah, I, I, love, I love your response. And that's, it's very interesting because I guess it just depends on your insurance because a lot of times they will fight the talk therapy, but won't fight the med. So it's, yeah,
1: I just, I don't understand insurance at all.
0: No, it's not consistent. That's for sure. This has been so awesome. Um, I, I think I've laughed so much. Um, are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions?
1: let's do it. Let's get the ball rolling.
0: All right. Just have fun. Um, beach, desert, or mountains.
1: Ooh, I'm going to go beach.
0: All right. Beach boys, Beatles, or rolling stones.
1: I'm probably going to go rolling stones.
0: What is the one word that best describes you? Ballsy. (laughs) Um, okay. Before you die, last song you want to hear.
1: I'd say country roads.
0: Hmm okay last meal you want to eat
1: pizza and wings but like separately like not the wings on the pizza
0: (laughs) which one first I mean you
1: know uh this was this was not in the script Um, (laughs) uh, probably the pizza because if you eat hot wings then you don't really taste the pizza
0: yeah good point um last person you want to see
1: uh probably my little sister oh
0: I love that Last words, you will speak.
1: And just one more thing. And then just <laughs> cut it off from there. <laughs> I
0: love it. Um, and aside from Cancer you, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers?
1: Um, I'd recommend checking out my website, A Ballsy Sense of Tumor. It's pretty comprehensive. It's, both, it's, it's uh, targeted mainly at men to be proactive about their health. But there is um, my mom and a couple of my caregivers wrote different pieces so and it talks a lot about the mental health side of things that we talked about here so it's really comprehensive resource so a ballsy sense of tumor i know it's a shameless plug but i'm gonna just roll with it
0: how can people also get in touch with you besides your website
1: um so if you go to the website all my contacts on there but social media on instagram it's a ballsy sense of tumor on facebook it's a ballsy sense of tumor on twitter it's a b s o t t c because a ballsy sense of tumor was too many too long For Twitter like I didn't think of branding early on very well <laughs> um and then my personal email is just out of um, always happy to answer uh questions concerns don't send me pictures of your testicles it's been you know four years and no one sent me a single picture yet so, so don't start like now keep- <laughs> yeah please please don't send us <laughs> you can just des- you can describe them in like vivid detail and how they feel that's fine I get a lot of those emails but just don't- I don't want pictures that's all I'm asking
0: I think it's good you said that because I've actually had people send their medical records through Facebook messenger.
1: That seems secure.
0: Yeah. And I'm like, don't do that, please. So anyway, um, Justin, it has been amazing having you and I love your sense of humor and love the name of the website. Um, I think more than anything, I just really love your attitude.
1: Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure being here.